Andrew Lairton of Heavyweights Light Fields. Andrew is a massage therapist and power lifter. And <clears throat> it's some crazy shit. He's in so go and check out Andrew at Heavyweights Light Fields on social media. Enjoy. If you like the episode, you can rate review on so it, there was a study, it was put by Rhonda Patrick, and it showed that anti-inflammatories post-exercise post is bad post-exercise. I've read, heard, I don't know, necessarily know if I agree or not, uh, you're not supposed to take your fish oil mm-hmm. after exercise for that same reason. Wait, really? Fish oil is an anti-inflammatory? Hell yeah. yeah. I did not know that. So, what do you understand the uh, mechanism of hypertrophy? Which mechanism? Like, what makes you gain muscle? Because isn't it triggered by a pro-inflammation? Yes. Inflammation is a response to muscle tearing. And so, if you were to take anti-inflammatory things within that that period of, I think I've heard two hours. then you would minimize the inflammation for muscle tearing and reduce your muscle gain. I that is generally what I've heard applied to fish oil as well. I've heard that um, the only exception for anti-inflammatories is actually green tea. You can have that directly after because it is in clinical trials it has shown that it has had no effect on the inflammation. However, if you were to take like a CBD any of your niggling pain or anything like that, like liberty lotion, see that we have, then um, doing that right after exercise actually might be hurting your gains. Yeah, but two hours after exercise, I imagine two hours isn't, I don't understand how they got to that number. I don't know if they've, uh, if they've controlled for time, but generally two hours. That's kind of the bodybuilding, powerlifting philosophy as well is that anabolic window post-workout it's like the most important time yeah exactly it's, it's <laughs> not i mean it, it it's marginally more important um but it's marginally more important uh, it's like you get a few more percent, you know, but it's it's not um, where you should be focusing your efforts unless you are a more advanced sort of athlete. It's really helpful to think about that when, even when you're starting things, because when you initially start something, just showing up is generally enough. Because, you know, you, you think about it when you try to go really hard and like and you try to do the heaviest lift you can possibly think of. And now you're injured and you can't show up to cl- or you can't show up to, to lift as often. Or um, you know, do do yoga, right? However, just gradual and just showing up, you build momentum. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and that's really the key is is to start mm-hmm. and understand you're starting a long journey. And we're kind of talking about what are we talking about exactly? Like, well, we're talking about because there was that metabolic window. Oh, the metabolic. And window. just what I was really trying to say is that everything kind of has general terms, like even fasting. Like fasting at all is better than not fasting. However, if you want to take it to be specific within 16 hours or 18 hour fasting windows, you're going to get a certain margin of um, better results, right? Or different results. And 
that at some point will get so small where the increments are uh, imperceivable. You lose economies of scale. It mm -hmm. no, longer, no longer becomes beneficial. Um, no, you're right. Um, avoid absolutes is something that I say. Oh, avoid absolutes. Yeah. Huh? Um, you know, just it, it helps keep an open mind around things. And also, too, uh, for me, I used to be a little, well, I still am very OCD, but uh, especially about meals and about timing. I used to be just like anal about it. Mm. Um, but I've, I've learned that you do not need to be that precise. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really helped to provide balance to my life. Has it? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, having to eat every two and a half hours, like boring ass chicken and rice or fish and rice and broccoli and asparagus. And then some people aren't even allowed to eat carrots. What? Oh, man, yeah. Oh, like uh, bodybuilders in competition prep. Uh, a lot of them will forego eating carrots for the higher sugar and via carbs. Mm, um, it, do what it takes, right? That makes sense. I like carrots. I like them. Yeah, I do too. Um, I think, yeah, no. It's, uh, well, I've experienced that with um, being low carb or even uh, fat optimized because I will, I'll cycle, right? But my son will want to go to the farmer's market every Wednesday and they have cookies. Yeah, we just sit down and eat a cookie with me. Well, am I going to spend his whole life foregoing a cookie? However, that is just a cultural package that I put on myself. Like, you know, the cherishing the moment to eat a cookie with your son. I mean, that that is hugely artificial. And if I don't do that, I am pretty sure I'm still a good father and I could have, you know, moments to cherish with them, right? Oh, so you're talking kind of like that pressure where it's, it's you want to remain steadfast to your, your mm -hmm. uh, approach to nutrition, right? Or should I also just realize that if I mostly do it, it's fine, and I can enjoy this with my son? Uh, I think it depends. It's balance, right? Um, if maybe you're going for a long run that day or uh, you have a reason to have some more calories, then do it. Um, but if you have something you're training for, prepping for, uh, like a fight coming up or something, and you got to make weight, got to make that sacrifice. I would argue, too, that only account for 20% of your time is at those small moments, as opposed to doing it all the time. There is a minimum effective dose with these things. So if I were to do it in only preparation for a tournament or um, to... Hey, hey. Yeah, I'm... Uh, oh. Uh, we have some it got the blanket. Bloody. It got mm. the blanket. It's fine. I got this. Let me take this opportunity to answer my friend's question. So, uh, a friend of mine who shall remain anonymous, remain closer to the microphone, has been having a shit week, right? Oh. One thing after another. Mm -hmm. And this person had asked me, do you think Murphy's Law is a thing? Um, it says when one big thing goes wrong, you're just way more sensitive to little things. Um, or uh, do it does having that one bad thing trigger a kind of momentum of downward spiral bad shit? And I think my answer to that: Do you think Murphy's law is a thing? I think intention plays a big role in that. And so if a bad big thing happens to you and just kind of hits you upside the face, 
you lose focus. And when you lose that focus, you become less intentional with the things that you do. You're less able to be present. And that presence is really what allows the intention. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think bad things happen to you because you're not paying attention. Like if you drop something, um, what I have found in the past when I was when I was in massage school and I felt like the world was just raining shit on me. Um, I, I don't know if I made this mantra up or if I heard it, but it was um, master this moment. Uh, so like when all kinds of bad shit is going on in there, you literally feel like you're in a storm. Um, I would just close my eyes and I would just tell myself master this moment, whatever it was. Sometimes we're just sitting on the bus. I spent hours on the bus uh, to and from class, and that can be stressful after a long day, after 12 hours of massaging and being in school and they're standing and it's hot. Um, sometimes just to the ability to be calm in the chaos uh, is something that uh, that mantra really helped me with. Welcome back. I, I'm, I've been talking way too much. You're no, you're completely fine. I especially think we start making compromises and everything does happen gradually or a lot of things happen gradually. You even see that with uh, Nazi Germany. Oh. <laughs> with the police officers, um, there is a book, I will pull the title up. Get it. And it's essentially the uh, police yes, officers actually oh shit let me not do that over time they they had incremental change and that is how they arrived at the the morally and ethically bankrupt situation that they were so it's uh, a little bit every few months you know uh mm -hmm. and i think once that starts happening once a linchpin is pulled it just floods even so, with good things so again uh, that sort of momentum mm -hmm. component uh, or concept uh i think yeah when a big bad thing happens to you you're more susceptible because uh you're not in the moment and so another bad thing happens to you and you it, it begins to aggregate and you especially if you're an intj or someone who is uh, prone to ruminating so you have all these things bad things happening snowballing aggregating or ruminating and it creates this epically vicious cycle uh, cognitive behavioral therapy has worked wonders mm. for me um, when i find myself in a ruminating cycle i try to get out of it um, and it's really helped identify sort of my bad patterns. Wait, how do you, so what is the cognitive dissonance therapy? Uh, so cognitive behavioral therapy uh, techniques uh, are, I would say, therapy approaches designed to work uh, with your mind. So it's understanding how your mind works. Uh, understanding the patterns and trying to not break them but replace them so give me can you give me an example uh yes okay shit um i don't have one on me but uh there's worksheets 
uh, counselor gave me. And so when you find yourself, like if you're sitting in traffic and somebody cuts you off, right? Uh, you're driving along, do, do, do. God damn it, that fucking asshole. He did that on purpose, right? And so you, you say that and you continue just getting angrier and angrier about this thing you have absolutely no control over. Mm. Have you ever felt yourself just kind of spinning mm. about something that you just like literally can't do anything about? Um, oof, I, 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 I still do it, you know, but I, I feel like I've, I've gotten a lot better because I've learned to identify that that person probably didn't do it on purpose. Mm. Um, so I, I trace back the reality of the, the moments uh, of the incident. The person didn't do it on purpose. Traffic's always a bitch in Seattle. I could have left earlier. I could have left later. Um, I, you know, I could have taken better uh, handle of my own. Uh, so we're talking about traffic, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, you drove back. So do you do you realize the irrationality of your behavior? And yes. but so I can see a scenario where you realize the irrationality of your behavior and you start shitting on yourself and being really self-critical. Is that what it looks like? Or do you redirect that? You re you redirect that. How do you redirect that? So um, ruminating is like an example of buzzword. <laughs> someone who ruminates, so someone who stews over something. Uh, you have a breakup, a recent breakup, right? And you just you keep stewing over you, things you could have done differently, things you wish you would have said, or you know something that they did, and you just you, you feel hurt, and um, you know all these things that you just can't do anything about and that aren't helping you or serving you in any positive way, uh, you identify that that's not a positive uh, thought, that's not, these aren't positive outlets, and you try to redirect. Mm. Um, so for me, uh, let's see, what's a good example of how I redirect? Um, Are athletics a coping mechanism for you? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, is that your only coping mechanism, or do you have others? Meditation, uh, and I was talking to someone recently, I think people overcomplicate meditation. Uh, I've been doing construction work on the side, right? Uh, one example is digging. I've been digging for like eight hours a day, and I don't hate it. Um, I like being physical, and if you kind of get in the zone, and you can get efficient at the process of digging, that's eight hours that I get to spend in my head. I fucking love that, because that's where I love the pain, is inside my head. If also, I love working out. And so I, um, I redirect energy to positive outlets. Uh, I have a list on my phone of kind of things that when I'm ruminating or when I'm, when I'm not being productive, I should be doing. So one of the things is ASL. I've been just trying to learn ASL because if I'm sitting at home and I'm stressed or something, not doing anything, I should be doing something. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not the only thing on the list. Um, there's a lot of things like the LSATs we were talking about. Um, and I give myself different things that uh, challenge me with different bandwidths. Mm -hmm. So some things that are really easy that I can do after a really long day, I still need to wind down a little bit. ASL is one of them. Um, working out is a higher bandwidth. It takes more energy. Um, so I can redirect based on 
the kind of energy that I have. Uh, so if you've been single for a really long time and you have a lot of primal energy, mm-hmm. I make sure that I get my workouts in or if I'm not getting my workouts in, I'm digging. So I'm still getting that, that reflection time in my head, but then I'm also taking care of the physical aspects as well. Mm-hmm. Why don't you watch a movie or TV when you relax? Oh shit. If y'all have Netflix, I've been like, it's been on repeat. Uh, the Joseph Campbell myth, yes. the myth series is epic. Um, it'll just be on in the background. I have ADD, um, I call it like intellectual or academic ADD. Um, I just want to learn as much as I can uh, about as much as I can. And so I'll do 15 minutes of ASL. I'll listen to 15 minutes of that Netflix thing. I'll write for 15 minutes. I'll do some, you know, some other stuff. Or um, I like. I like working in bursts and breaks. Does binge watching a show satisfy you? Uh, part of my OCD. I like schedules, itineraries. So I like to know if this Saturday is set aside for just relaxing. Yeah, there's going to be some binge watching. So I actually have to schedule binge watching and I have to schedule relaxation but it works for me. I actually relax better. Like when I can get all my logistics coordinated. So that's the thing I geek out on. I would, in my youth, I would come home and I had to have at least an hour of TV time. Actually, it was more than that. But I would feel, if I came home and I had to go right to bed, I felt so angry as if every wrong had been done to me because I did not get to watch my show. Was it The Simpsons? It was. Ah! <laughs> How did you know my secrets? <laughs> man, I can relate. And eight o'clock, no, I wanna, yeah. Yeah, exactly, man. However, over time, it just got repetitive for me in in the sense that it wasn't fulfilling because that, that became my free time. I'd work and I'd go to school. And the little bit of time that I could scrape by, I would spend it on that. Or I would play a video game, which video games have taught me a tremendous amount of problem-solving skills um, among reading and a lot of Dexterity. Yeah, exactly. Um, However, not having something else that fulfilled me, like learning a new skill, learning a new language, or um, figuring out how to go mountaineer and looking at the ecosystems and habitat around me and following, you know, asking what really excites me and pursuing that. And then when I get tired, I'm mentally tired. So now I can go and lift kettlebells or I can do yoga and then I'm physically tired. Well, now I can go and stimulate myself creatively. And then I start asking myself like, when's the best time of day to stimulate myself <laughs> creatively? And when's the best time to do like intellectual things or and physical work yes. and just playing with it. and. That's like the same thing as a video game for me. And the boss is just feeling better or um, learning something more or having more nuance when I'm doing a rep or something like that. And that, like the level of satisfaction that I get and other emotions, I've never had that. It's, it's, it's beautiful. What, uh, I'm, I'm in a similar position, I'm 30, and I feel like I, the, the level of appreciation I have for similar things uh, is new to me. Uh, like, I went to college and, you know, I, I did the learning thing, but uh, 
I, I, that was going through the motions for me. Um, the first 27 years of my life were like, do this, do that, motions here, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then now I'm discovering how to be a human. <laughs> you know, your podcast is so perfect. Um, That's what I geeked out because I, I thought I, I always thought I had things figured out. Like I, I remember every step in my life. I'm like, oh yeah, I got it. And then take a few more steps. No, I don't. And then a few more. Oh, I gotta figure it out. And just it would repeat. However, I learned that it's conversations that I have with people, getting to you know live their experience with them, listening to their regrets, their their hopes, what excites them, things that they love most about their life. It informed my own life, and I started to learn more about myself. So I thought through conversation, it could be a tool to learn more about myself, learn more about others, and then if other people want to be a part of it, then learn more about themselves. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, a rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say something, and then I forgot. Um, totally forgot. What are you, what the fuck? Is this so? Did you go and wrestle an octopus and rip off all of its cups and put it on your body so that you can mate with another octopus and then have octopus human hybrids? Or, yeah, I guess that's a kind of porn. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that is tentacle porn. Damn, uh, this is not. Uh, uh, <laughs> I try to stay hip. Um, is there a way to like get the video? Yeah, so I can, um, like, okay. Yeah, so these are just cups, um, Eastern medicine, uh, bodywork technique. Uh, this is the new tech, though. These are just silicone tech rubber, and they use suction. Uh, the old school way uses heat and cotton balls and ceramic tech cups. It's really badass. Um, so you just plop it on there. Um, I try to. The benefits are they're boasted as wide benefits, but I really think they're good at uh, helping release adhered sliding tissues. Mm. Uh, sliding tissues being uh, where different direction muscle fibers cross and then over, over exertion, bad posture, they can kind of get all gluey. Um, so if you have, uh, you know, you see what's, what, what is it, douche, uh, the dudes with the super rounded, I'm one of them, uh, the guys with super rounded shoulders. Oh, yeah. And they're all like kind of yeah. up forward like that. Um, so, neck. Um, yeah. And so I try to just focus on opening up range of motion in those sliding surface areas. And I have, feel like it's worked really well um, in increasing my range of motion. I try to be intentional with the placement. Um, intentional as in how? Um, so like this is uh, it, where it's at now, kind of at the intersection of the deltoid and where the triceps and biceps meet. So there's a lot of different muscles that are coming together at a junction, a lot of opportunity for some gluing and, and matting to happen. And so I place it over that junction with the hopes of everything kind of getting to where it should be and want to be. Um, it stimulates blood flow. Uh, some people think it helps with uh, cellulite i don't think anything really helps with cellulite but getting in shape uh so i don't think don't spend your money on anything but what's cellulite uh like this like looks like cottage cheese like right? i think yeah yeah but, but so what like is stretch that? marks type so i think it's different in a oh, sense but 
just like uh, I think it's when skin used to be stretched out, and then it. I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, we're about to find out. We're about to find out. Um, uh, this is just kind of my own. I was bringing all day, man. I'm a little sore, so uh, no, you're fine. Taking man. care of myself, and then also I do massage on uh, massage therapist. Uh, so I'm kind of learning to hopefully incorporate this on my practice. I've done it on a few of my uh, not like formal clients, my friend clients. Mm -hmm. uh, they've loved it. Well, that's cool, man. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, apparently, cellulite is a fat deposit beneath the skin, and the main symptom is the appearance of lumpy and dimpled flesh on the basically Kim Kardashian's ass. Um, weight loss and exercise can help improve the appearance of cellulite. Other treatments are laser and radio frequency systems. And ret uh, retinol cream? What? I got like eye cream. <laughs> These may need to be repeated regularly. Well, yeah. That's but in the cellulite, I wonder if cellulite is merely cosmetic or if there is benefit to getting rid of it. I guess it's an indication that you're just getting more healthy overall. Um how do you how do you gauge the effectiveness of cutting? Like what did it look like when you were curious about it and first started? And what did you look for? Uh, or are you the kind of person that's just like, I'm gonna do it and as long as it fucking floats my boat, we're good. That's where I'm at now is um, I love the massage community. Um, mm -hmm. I love the concept of community yeah. as a whole. Um, but so I did a massage on a, a friend who was really in need. And instead of cash, uh, it's not uncommon to trade. Um, that's why I love having the skill. Cool. And so they gave me these cup sets. Um, I didn't know I was doing like all this. And mm -hmm. so I didn't ask for permission to call anyone out. Yeah. Just they know who they are, um, <laughs> you know, and. Uh, I love that, that just the ability to give. Mm -hmm. And so I got these and I'm just kind of experimenting right now. Uh, cool. Eventually, I hope to take a continuing education course to get formal training so I can. Do they offer formal training? Oh, oh, hell yeah. Wow. Where, where did you go to get formal training? Uh, like just a massage school? Or any individual can technically offer uh, continuing education training. So it would be like a certificate. Yeah, exactly. Well, like you do like a, a kettlebell instructor certificate, and then you can show that you have like mastery over or knowledge over it. Exactly. That's bad. And uh, you mentioned something earlier about oh, intervention. <laughs> oh, the intervention model. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's something they teach you in massage school to address um, uncomfortable situations, mm -hmm. but it's not a massage tool. It's just an emotional intelligence tool. Oh. Um, so you like, you can Google it so we can pull the steps up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank God. I'm pretty sure no one from massage is listening <laughs> because I don't remember all of the steps. There's like nine of them, but there's kind of three or four key steps. Um, and this is helpful for if like, uh, you have interpersonal conflict with someone, um, what's it called? Oh, inter just like Google intervention model. Uh, intervention model and then let's see if like that one looks this one right here to the right one right there that looks familiar Ooh. it's a lineup
So, okay. Um, let me see if I can just pull this out of my brain. Ooh. Uh, so if you're having an issue, uh, first of all, you stop the interaction. You just kind of find a way to politely just get a pause, right? Um, then you address the situation. And the key to addressing the situation is using as objective of information as possible. So if you're having someone yelling at you, uh, for example, somehow try and get them to stop, you know, find a moment to pause and then say, hey, so I've noticed you're yelling at me. Um, I would love to reach a resolution with you, but I cannot continue unless you stop yelling at me. So um, it's designed to stop uh, desired behavior. Um, so like yelling at you isn't the only way it can be used. Uh, and also please Google it for your own yeah. sake. So. Uh, my half-assed explanation isn't all you have. Oh, I know I'm talking to you. Uh, not yeah, you. No, I know. Uh, any, if anybody's listening, but um, um, so that's actually something you have to do with children. Oh, okay. Tell me more. So what it, it could be very, very similar. And what you what happens is so say my son were to start hitting me, right? And I didn't like that. Like he, he can't hit me. He's really angry, and if I tell him to stop, he's not going to have the rationale or the resolve to stop. It's going to get worse. What the best thing to do is tell him, go and go on timeout, right? Or go and be alone. Timeout, not as a form of punishment, as a form of be alone with your own thoughts so you can calm down and then have a conversation with me because you are doing things to me that are inappropriate. And I'd love to, you know, resolve this with you but not in this way. And you have to exercise that. And children, well, children can be really frustrating because if you have a child who's throwing a tantrum and you exercise this uh, practice, you can't expect anything more of a child. It's very difficult for that to slip into your mind. Whereas opposed to when you're with someone, you're like, well, actually, no, she really needs to stop just being fucking mean. You know what I mean? Like, or, or, or no, he, he, he can't, you can't yell at me. I'm going to tell him you can't yell at me. Like, you, you, it's harder to get there with a kid. You just have to accept the fact that they're going to hit you and they're going to bite you and spit on you and you have to find a way to stop this. And short of giving them what they want or what they are fighting you over, you have to resolve it. And so I, for me, and what I've learned through Early Head Start, which that is ran um, by individuals who have uh, degrees in early childhood psychology and they help the uh, parents and give them what they've learned, essentially, uh, for parent tools. And so that's where I learned that. And every time my son gets mad, and he still gets mad at me, he hasn't changed that, but he learns to go and be alone and then find some way to express that feeling. And then when he's okay, come back to me and then rejoice and discuss what he went to the best of his ability. You're not just gonna cut and dry like you did that's yeah. wrong. It's like, See, we all get angry sometimes, and sometimes it controls us, and we have to know how to redirect that. And has that has that worked? Has, has have you been able to have these calm conversations with him after the fact? After the fact, yes. When it gets really bad, no. And my belief is because I am not using the effective techniques. Because at some point, and not like to that prescription, but maybe I am not talking to him in a way that that is working out. Like, I also believe, though, if a child tunes you out, that's more your fault than the child's. It's like getting mad at when a, 
uh, you're doing comedy and nobody's laughing. <laughs> you're not saying anything funny. You can say the same. Yeah, you can. You can say the same thing in a more engaging way, mm -hmm. and it is two to tango in that sense. I mean, if the kid's being honest and disrespectful, it's not cool. But I'm not gonna beat the shit out of my kid into submission so that he does what I want him to do. That that's not good. The only option when he gets really angry like that, like it's hard for me to control my emotions and not to reflect what he's doing to me, especially. Um, if uh, you yourself were kind of like an outbursty sort of child, it's like I. It makes you think you're going back to that place, and, and then it becomes like two eight-year-olds just like irrationally going at it, <laughs> just biting each other's heads off. Yeah, exactly. Now you can. I don't uh, know if you were an outbursty child. No, I, I kind of. I used to. Uh, you look. You look like a bad kid. Go on the other side of the hallway. And I had a long, narrow hallway and then throw knives into the wall above my um, door. I was like 11. I was really pissed, man. And then I've had like pizza or what is it, pizza dough fights in my house. There's pizza well, dough all over the, the pizza dough all over the walls and the furniture. Uh, yeah, overdosed, um, among other things. Not very proud of those things, but I just, I got moved away. My, my mom and I, we moved and she wanted to get away from the environment that she was in because she felt stuck um, but that also meant and i agreed to it as, as a kid um that i wouldn't be around my family anymore and so i had a lot of resentment and stuff and i took it out it manifested in that way and since then though i've been working on dealing with it but. and uh did you do sports as a kid or did you i did not i did i did i started with bmx when i was a kid my dad had his own bike shop and bmx team we would go out and do like national races and hop in the back of the suburban and you know driving to these tracks that are all across like california and nevada and that was a blast and then when we moved um not quite my mom was a single mom busy and didn't have the resources to be able to take me to those things she might have offered me them a couple of times when i just like turned it down and i remember that very vividly those experiences that's not true i remember key points of those very well um and that informs me when i have my son when i see him having an outburst when i feel like um when i feel like i have a lot on my plate and then i couldn't help him get support him in ways like his extracurricular interests or even it'd be easy for me to just not pursue other interests and take them along right but i'm trying to constantly expose him because that seemed to be the thing for me it was like oh there's things out here that i can actually do to express my anger, my happiness, my frustration, my sadness, in all those ways. Like you can, you literally, I didn't even realize that like um, anger or like the way you express your emotions, right? Even if it's uh, you compulsively smoke weed, uh, compulsively drink, compulsively eat, it's like I'm angry or I'm celebrating. So the way that I express celebration is this way. And since you do it gradually and over time, just like an ultra runner does, and you start to connect a comfort and a pleasurable experience with it. And so now when you do something good, you should always do that. Or oh, yeah. when you're having not a good day, smoke some weed. Like, you know, like, or it's the end of the night, smoke some weed. Conditions. Yeah. Classically condition ourselves into good and bad habits. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
that's where it is like with the ultra running like you see people and they're like they're running these ridiculous miles like oh, how could they do that that must be painful it must be miserable no they're conditioned and to this dance of um, suffering and uh fulfillment because that's what it always is i mean everything that you do will have that dichotomy within it that order in the chaos you know the yin and the yang the good and the bad mm-hmm. absolutely um, and the more you can learn to accept that, the easier, I don't want to say life gets, but I feel like the better you're able to respond to life. And like, I don't know, I guess when I think about starving children in Africa, that's, I don't want to say a necessary part of, of the universe, but, um, accepting that you can't have good without bad has moderated it's it's a bittersweet thing it's moderated my highs mm. but it's also moderated my lows mm. um, and so that's something i'm trying to learn to balance in that because everything that's sad in the world makes me fucking sad mm. um, but but i would argue that isn't that a relative experience in the sense that impose our emotions and our drama upon the world and all of that is an internal thing that sounds very stoic (laughs) yes and i it's not a bad thing because in the pursuit of that like if that bothers you right and you spend your whole life doing that you have then brought the world a little closer to heaven not that I'm religious, but I mean, and do a, you know more of a goodness, right? Harmony, I think. But Harmony in heaven, hell yeah. If you were so caught up in like mm, lifting weights makes me so happy, and then you were in that community and you became an advocate and you were able to help people in the end, or further the knowledge in that community, you would then be moving the earth a little bit closer or towards goodness. And either way, even if you're transposing your drama out on the world, as long as you act on it to its fullest and most honest extent for what you want, and you, because you'll do it 100%, then you won't half-ass it. At least I hope you wouldn't. I hope you're not going to be so self-defeatist, too. That's why I don't like doing a lot of things, because if I can't do it 100%, I kind of don't want to do it. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. That's got me in trouble, because I don't like to work for, um, <laughs> like, things that I don't believe in and things that aren't my thing. Uh, yeah, I just but I hyper I hyper fixate on the things that I really like or the communities that I'm really invested in on a personal level, not just because I need to. I think that that plays into the beauty of existence is finding your place mm-hmm. in this world that is ugly but also so so pretty. That's uh, why I asked you about um, you know what you how you spend your time to relax because I knew a lot of, I know a lot of people who um, are indulgent. However, I guess we're all indulgent in some fashion. This is indulgent. Yeah. But that's pretty rad. It's uh, yeah, exactly. I, I love it. And the people who they, they just do like, uh, you know, topical things and they've never asked themselves those questions or, you know, they've never plunged into did the hard thing. I've been there before, but, but, 
doing that and pursuing who you are. People who have never been pulled by purpose. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's unfortunate. And that's kind of maybe the message, one of the messages I'm trying to get out into the world is like, um, I love lifting and I love working out, but like that's not going to be my primary focus in life, right? That's a portion of my focus. And I think, you know, how, how long does it take to get a long run in or a long workout in? Two to three hours. Add in another hour or two of kind of self-care and then you also have a job and other obligations. But but I think a balanced life should have more than just your, this is my job and this is my hobby. It's, you know, how else are you, you pushing the, the, the universe forward, not the mm-hmm. universe, not to sound hippie, but like how else are you contributing to the world? Because um, I think you partially have an ex, uh, a responsibility to experience and express, um, and you also partially have an experience to uh, contribute and collaborate. Community is how evolution began. It was a collaboration of amino acids. Uh, yeah, that's in rocks. True story. Bruce Damer podcast. You know. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, fuck, we're talking about purpose, yes, purpose. pursuing purpose. Um, if you don't have a purpose now in life, ask yourself, what should it be? Start listening. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I, I try to listen and not, not in the sense of listening. I, I listen to people, but I'm trying to listen to my purpose. So when I sit and I meditate, I will try and find the path. Um, I'm building a path now. But it's 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 a it's a struggle. That's the thing. I think that's the thing. I think a lot of people avoid purpose because it's fucking hard. Yeah, but that's that whole. Here it is a quote. It's easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. That sounds very zen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I find that often, and it's fun to have experiences that I volunteer volunteer for volunteer to take on that are challenging because it seems that there's less involuntary challenges in my life which is nice um i've been saying this quote a lot to myself and to friends dostoevsky i probably pronounced his name wrong but uh one of my greatest dreads in life is to not be worthy of my suffering Mm. Um, life should be good and it should be bad you know you should have hard times and good times but you should try and pick the suffering that mm-hmm. you want. So for me, I want to just dig mindlessly because I get beat in my head. It, it sucks like eight hours of just beating your body up, but I get to pick that suffering, which makes it kind of doable. Mm-hmm. That's the nice thing about having that, that level of perspective because you can turn something that could be seemingly not mindless, however you have to do it, in the meantime, to be able to facilitate your needs into a teaching of sort, as opposed to a, a crushing experience that you see adds no value to your life. There is way more beneficial way of looking at it. And if you do that, because it's true, universal principles are existing. Everything's universal principles there. And you're able to practice those things. You, you can use it anywhere. Like if there's someone who's being an asshole to me, right? I can use it to express more empathy, tolerance, and how to 
okay. how to handle the situation. Because if I mean, if someone were to like steal something for you, right, you shouldn't really be tolerant and they say, oh, yeah, that's, that's fine. You should be empathy like, oh, no, you made a poor choice. And here are your consequences. Like, I need that back. Or you need to pay for my window. Like I have with my son. Like, you hit me. I've been angry like that too, son. And I love you. However, you need to go quite What's your consequences? Um, is there anywhere that anybody could find you or check out your stuff? Uh, just Instagram. Um, I think it's, I, I'm not a big Facebook person. Uh, uh, just my heavyweight slight feels Instagram page. Yeah. Um, send me a DM. Uh, Do people get out uh, get any of your services? Oh shit! Yeah. Mm. Uh, if you're in the valley, uh, or I'm I'm all over from Bellingham to Seattle. Uh, a really good massage therapist i'm just saying um i also do some like macro coaching um i don't necessarily advertise that like i do that because it's not i it's i think a lot of, can i rant for like two minutes yeah i don't care i think I'm a lot of people like charge way too much money for quote unquote macro coaching um i think it's like a hip way to get money from people and i fucking hate it so um if you don't want to spend a lot of money or want to become part of my like mad scientist crew of macro clients, uh, send me a DM. Uh, I've got a lot of people kind of working on things now. Um, hopefully some bodybuilding competitions and some powerlifting meets uh, for myself and my clients. Um, and so we integrate some massage therapy components along with your training. So that way we can correct any imbalances that you may have, address any injuries. Uh, I believe that you can make so much progress and change uh, in your physiology with the right approach. And that's talking about like if you have spine issues, if you have hip, shoulder type issues, uh, I would recommend going to, you know, obviously a medical doctor, but I also like chiropractors um, in conjunction. It should be a tool in your tool belt. But if you have x-rays that tell you, hey, you know, this hip is higher or this hip is rotated, the shoulder is there, uh, the proper training and body work can make a lot of progress. You do not have to live a life of pain. Um, shit, sorry, that was more than two minutes. I don't care. I was going to ask. I know you're not a medical doctor. No. You can't give out medical advice. Correct. By you on the internet. Don't sue them. So, in some cases, you're saying like someone could be said, like a surgeon, right, could suggest a surgery, and not all the time is that surgeon correct, and they they could reach out to other people to see other possibilities because there are. I uh, I think surgery is the I don't want to say the lazy option, but I think a lot of doctors automatically just kind of go the surgery route because the client has already proven a history of not addressing an issue previously that needed addressing to make the problem better. And so that's why the surgical intervention is usually you haven't done what you were supposed to do before we got to this point. So now we have to just do the surgery. And I've also seen that when you have a hammer, everything looks like nails. And <laughs> if they kept going to someone who has their specialties, and then they didn't receive relief, and they asked you, should they go to surgery? I would probably tell them they shouldn't do that. 
because right like if you're doing something and it's not working out or at the very least you should get a very um what is it called well-rounded viewpoint on something before you actually pursue something permanent does that make sense yes absolutely like if you are in pain uh, if you were to try your methods out and they don't work there isn't much consequence but oh. if you were to go the surgery route then I see what you're saying. There's a permanent consequence. However, it'd be better to at least try the non-permanent thing, see if it works, and if it doesn't work, then go the surgery route. Because I've heard from surgeons that they're even that at times they're pressured with quotas and making a certain amount of money. And if they were to suggest otherwise, right, because they're a surgeon, they do surgery, then they'd be turning away the people. It's just it happens everywhere. I mean, DEA catches drug people and they try to keep themselves. And then we kind of drug people. We can be started. That's why I want to go to law school. <laughs> so yeah. So what you're saying is that like trying the massage slash uh, physical therapist slash chiropractor, and I'm I'm personally a massage therapist, but I love all of those modalities, and I think your treatment plan should contain whatever your healing requires. I think they all can work in different capacities and for different. Uh, issues but there's really yeah almost no harm in trying that route before the surgical route uh, massage feels good or it can it can hurt sometimes uh, but uh, physical therapy it's empowering because you're taking charge of your health instead of being subdued and on a table and, and you're removed from it um, and so you know taking charge of your own health is really how you're going to live your healthiest life anyways and the healthier that you are or if you were to view it as game and how well you can do it, you'll actually start feeling better. And that's my experience, because I went from good getting sick at least four times a year, uh, night sweats. I would spit up um, dark brown, yellow, uh, and green all throughout the year, because I was a smoker. I'd smoke a pack a day ever since I was 12. And <laughs> that's where I get my deep throat, or deep, I mean deep voice, <laughs> deep voice. <laughs> I have sucked it a long time. Um, <laughs> many years. Freudian slip. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't anymore. I'm very conscientious of how I eat. I had gum disease. Uh, I still do. If I were to eat like shit, meaning if I have a lot of sugars and uh, simple carbs, um, I'll start getting abscesses. I have cavities everywhere. I've got to be careful. Who has health insurance these days? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Canada. Um, <laughs> But I feel great. I've never, like, the moments that I feel energetic, maybe I'm being melodramatic, but I haven't felt that alive. Like when I'm running up and down a mountain, for instance. I think you're, I think we're both, but you're describing the unplugging from the matrix, uh, the matrix of, you know, metaphor, not literally. Although that'd be yeah. eerie if that was real. But uh, I call Western culture the matrix. Um, we do so many things poorly and incorrectly and backwards. And I feel like a lot of your podcast is kind of designed around, hey, let's let's create new culture, new cultural curriculum, and a new way of doing things, a healthier way of doing things, mm -hmm. uh, in a sense, a pr more primal way of doing things. Um, I, I hate being the guy that always shits on Western culture, and I'm not saying that Eastern culture is better. Um, I think what we don't do as a culture is we're not open-minded, but also, too, I think we're 
you know, I think our government's corrupt. So that, that yeah. throws a whole wrench in whole everything. I, I just think our systems are outdated in some fashion and it definitely can be reconsidered. However, at one point we were at the pinnacle of um, meta communities for our time. You even see that with our democracy or the uh, Democratic Republic. And people modeled thereafter. And you could argue they're doing it better now. Countries, right? But I think that idea came from us. With like with the founding fathers, I think that was the first time that they did that. I know that they had democratic republics and okay, fine, if I get weird. Uh wouldn't that be like Plato? Oh, uh, but wasn't that democracy or was that a democratic republic? Because the democratic republic is where you have representative government. Democracy is full on. We're all voting individually for each thing. Good thing we have the Google box. Yes, the Google box. What cases? Okay, when was the first democracy? Cuba was became a republic in 1899. When was the first democracy? Like anyone like actually watching us? Uh, wait, wait, wait. Nope. Okay. Zero. I'm gonna put it on the. Uh, Iceland's national parliament dates back to 930 AD. Huh. That's a trick. 480, 430 BC. Well, I guess here we are then. But I think we're just trying, though, as a community to, just like a species evolves, right? Methods of government evolve. And I just hope that there's a new method of government, not one that has existed in the past, not uh, communism, for instance, not even socialism, not democracy. There's just something, another solution. And I'm curious to see what it will be. I mean, I'm really confident for it because now we have, we're having the capacity to uh, leverage technology in very creative ways. And technology, as in Bitcoin, is unbiased because that's a problem, right? Bitcoin can fuck the world up if yeah. you want it. Well, and it's unregulated because the problem is, is that at everything that we've made before, if you have an institution, right, it's ran by people, so it's corruptible. You can corrupt technology, you can corrupt um, artificial intelligence or not even artificial intelligence. You wouldn't even have to have it think for itself because if you just created a rule set, like an algorithm, right, and then make it so it's not hackable, and then the algorithm won't lie to you. You can't like embed the way that information is disseminated and voting is disseminated. You couldn't manipulate it. Because if you did, that would be terrorism. I think when we can finally what? No, you're fine. No, I think when we can finally vote from our cell phones, we'll be able to finally 
It'll be interesting because it'll definitely be a disruption of power. And I think things like Uber and these businesses that are starting on the smartphone, and the more that we're integrating with the, that kind of a mobile internet technology, um, which is what the smartphone is, it's not just a phone. It literally is the access to the internet and all of its power in the point where you can summon someone to now go to a convenience store and pick up anything off of that list or uh, go to one of the 30 restaurants within like 20 miles from here, right? And what you're doing is you're telling something to instruct another human being. You're talking to a system that then tells the nearest human being and fetches them for you. So it does a task that is incorruptible and must happen. That's what I think is the trick. Because you can make it anything that we see that is that you can see standardized or corruptible, like just account votes, right? That should be done by computers because it is less corrupt. Because if people were counting, oh, they fucked up. And I think that'll, it might be a slippery slope. Well, and uh, I would just want to add to that voter suppression mm-hmm. is a non issue at that point. Yeah. Gerrymandering, non issue. Uh, well, okay. If you hack it, I mean, who makes the program, but. Uh, well, and that's why I'd be curious to see like how blockchain technology can help with that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think a lot of people, and this is where I want to do more research, but a lot of people limit blockchain technology to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But I think there's like another level to it mm-hmm. um, that I want to look into more. I'm supposed to have a guy come on and I think he owns, he's the CEO of a blockchain or but it was just related to Bitcoin and yeah I'm excited I got all the questions man I, I just I'm going with yeah. it I wish I would have gotten Bitcoin sooner really oh, fuck yeah yeah it, it's it's fun though you can always start I mean um, I mean I have like a little bit now mm-hmm. but um, I really I'm curious for the social power that I can bring yeah I completely agree because once again it's much more difficult to manipulate something that is um, a little bit more objective. Well, and the, the way that the, the cryptography is done and all the different systems that are involved and all the different people, um, the difficulty of traceability. Um, and then there's this cool product. I don't know where they're at in the development. Dark Wallet. Ooh. Yeah. Um, have you, are you, are you, uh, do you have Hulu? Uh, yeah, I have Hulu. Have you seen uh, the Netflix movie, The New Radical? No. Oh shit, Cody Wilson of Defense Distributed, who just like just won a huge actually fucking uh, First Amendment's right case with the Supreme Court. Uh, Defense Distributed, they sell the blueprints for downloadable guns, essentially, gun parts, and they sell machines that can actually make you a 1911 in your kitchen. I think the machine was like 1600 bucks. But the First Amendment, because he sells the code Mm -hmm. to a 3D printing, right? Which is just zeros and ones, essentially, at the base level. And so there was that huge uh, Supreme Court uh, case because it's like, we're not actually selling weapons, we're selling data, um, which is protected under the First Amendment. And, you know, uh, the New Radical, super cool uh, documentary. And it's, it's like, when something's mainstream, it makes you wonder like how legit the uh, anarchist appeal is to it. But um, it's, yeah. I'm not saying I'm an anarchist, but like I like, I I I think 
change needs a lot of different players. Mm -hmm. So I like people who are picking a role and playing that game. Like I like people who pick roles, who are like intentional in their existence. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't agree with everything he's doing, but I like his presence because it's necessary. And the same can be said about uh, the feminists, their necessary existence. And I think like, I think there's merit to all the social movements to an extent. Mm -hmm. And people who are on the sidelines right now are really the people who are kind of the audience. Mm, makes sense. I'm, I'm rambling, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's fine. <laughs> uh, it, it's just trying to contribute in some fashion. Because I think that that's important. Like if you're going to go up on stage and you don't give it any energy, you can kill the energy of the room. Like, you, but if you contribute, you're just going to add to it all. The rising tide yeah. raises all ships. Like if you try to do your best at something, and you mentioned meta communities. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly familiar with that, but what I envision is like a lot of different communities coming together for a common goal. Well, that's the thing. Like the the density in our communities today, without essentially killing ourselves, killing each other, not warring or anything. Um, we're unified as if we were like a meta organism, one big organism. And each of our individual, like you can see it at all different levels, like a school is an organism, an institution, because everyone there is playing a game, which the kids have to be there. They can't abuse the teacher. They have to sit at the desk, right? They're playing a game. And the teacher is deciding not to uh, do the whatever is not allowed at school and then teach the material. We're just doing all of this every day. We're not doing some weird behavior, right? You're, you're not like yelling, cursing at the kids. Um, and for that to function, I think it's getting, in, we're getting better at it as we go and things live and die as if they were a species. So if a, a way of teaching were not to work, like a- So you, wait, hold on. So yeah. are you saying our education system is getting better over time? No, <laughs> but we how we are assessing it though, because now we have more data. And so we're able to, see how to do it better okay because it's it's just like if you look at like a bear right and is it perfect no but it's striving for perfection because it's surviving and like like the free marketplace is another good example i guess we're just uh reiterating evolution in our own terms because like if you start a business let's say um you start a life company and you can play with this because you can do advertising and not focus on the light. But if you make the best light, you're probably going to be the richest company and you'll probably be the one who stands out. It's not always true, but that's when the system's gained in some fashion. I think our system is gained. Well, but, but is it though? Because if you were to start like a shirt company and then start that business, no one's uh, working against you. Like that system's not gained. That free market is you can compete in it just like anybody else and you have laws that protect you. I think on the micro level, absolutely. Mm -hmm. the, well, but if you, but then we could start talking about like barriers to entry mm -hmm. um, and then applying that awesome concept intersectionalism, which I love. Um, I just think it needs to be more inclusive, mm -hmm. uh, but that's a topic for another day. Yeah. Um, but if you apply intersectionalism to that concept, uh, systemic oppression of black people is a barrier to entry 
to that free market. So is it actually free? What if you were to sell watches though, how do I know you're black? If you sell it online. I don't care. Like if you were if you were to sell a t-shirt online, right? And Andrew is a white guy and Lamar is a black guy. I wouldn't I'd still buy t-shirts. And I'd buy t-shirts from you. Oh, if you had so, to put a design in there, I'd probably buy t-shirts from you. No, I'm, I'm talking even pre-production. Like pre so, so the ability to even get the 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 dream, uh, I, I, guilty pleasure of mine, America's Got Talent. Yeah. Um, one of the contestants like adopted like 14 million kids. Like, God bless his heart. He's going to win because, you know. Um, but uh, one of his kids had said something that resonated and that it's like, it's hard to dream when you're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. So, in thinking about the systemic oppression of minorities that's been done by our government for fucking decades, centuries, let's be real. Um, What's the systemic oppressionism now? Like, what? In what ways do does it prevent voter suppression, um, gerrymandering, or whatever? Like redlining, I think. Uh, so, getting districts. Um, created in a way to get the white people elected. Um, racism, which I think is still an issue. Um, I think Will Smith had said it. Racism isn't getting worse. It's just getting filmed. Yeah. I think a lot of things are just getting filmed. Um, and so I think that we still do kind of have a race problem. I, I think we have a lot of problems, and, and I don't want to be the guy that shits on everything. Uh, uh, Martin Luther King had a quote. Uh, I love this country very much. That's why I'm so critical of it, because I think it sh- should be doing so much better. That's kind of where I'm at. Where, like, I see how fucking awesome America could goddamn be mm-hmm. if we would just get rid of Judeo-Christian religion influence, which has created the patriarchy, which is not, I believe, the root of the problem. I think it's one of the heads on the Medusa. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, the patriarchy and the racism problem. How is the patriarchy a drawback? Like, what, like explain it to me. Explain how you view the patriarchy and your understanding of the patriarchy. I'm trying to speak broadly in the... Uh, I support feminism, but I think that we need a movement that is bigger to tackle the bigger issues. And so, like, their big thing is abolish the patriarchy and my big thing is get rid of corrupt government and then let's rebuild um so it's like in the and well do you what is the possibility that you can get rid of of all potential for maliciousness zero so why is it within the realm possibility of to get rid of the corrupt government. I'm not saying that you should tolerate it, but there's going to be a certain level of that always pushing. And it's not, I, I would argue, and it's no, not because, right you know, we're, we have a tendency for maliciousness. My son has a tendency for maliciousness. He'll, he'll hurt you if you, like, well, he'll hurt me if I tell him that he can't have things that he really wants sometimes. That's pretty malicious. Yeah. But that's that's a kid. And I mean I've done things that were malicious. I would never I would never do them. I feel really bad for them. I paid a lot of guilt for it, right? 
However, it's just mushrooms. But if you were to make it to where there's more consequences for my mushrooms, a society where you're constrained, where coming out with it, you would be ostracized. I think that would make it worse. Whereas instead of protecting the individual, teaching further confidence is more interesting. Because when you're more confident, so someone were to say, hey, I, I, I lost you, I'm sorry. So, well, in, in the sense that um, I'm going to use a white person because I don't want this okay. to come up in a really bad way. Okay. Um, hey, you white piece of shit, right? Stop posturing with your fucking tank top and all these other things, right? And if you, if that were to, no, I, but I, I don't mean that. <laughs> but if that were to, if that were to bother you and I were to put you on a really bad trajectory in life, right? Then you were not given the skills to handle a difficult situation very well. And that is an educational problem. And I don't even think, I don't think any person gets that. However, sometimes they have good role models, but other people don't. Like they see the way out. And I don't think it is, I see a lot of people who are like, well, you can't wear that, that person's fucking headdress. You can't, um, you know, cook that food. Or you should feel bad for like the black oppression and the black systemic oppression. And it's like, well, why don't we teach each other how to over identify something that's hurting you in front of you and how to overcome with that, how to just neutralize that, how to be a Martin Luther King on the individual level instead of legally enforcing very restrictive policies that create tyranny. Because it's I'm all about fewer laws. Like, yeah, I don't know. I went on a rant on that, but it's just something that I because I know, you know, some people who just get outraged by that and it concerns me because like my son can't play uh what is it cops and robbers anymore cowboys um and native americans like that that whole idea would not like shooting themselves but he would pretend he was in the west and his other kids would pretend that you know they would go back and forth or they would all just be cowboys and they'd all be native americans just role playing so what if you're role playing you're indulging in culture i think I thankfully don't have kids, so I don't yeah. deal with that. But the topic of cultural appropriation mm -hmm. um, is something I'm I'm not mixed on. It's just that, like, I think a lot of people don't pay the right amount of appreciation when they appropriate culture. And I think that's what is the negative uh aspect of it I, I i think cultural appropriation okay in its academic definition as being inherently bad is mm -hmm. bad but i think cultural appreciation is rad yeah and that's what we need to teach is um why the i'm, I'm thinking of the girl with the gun or mm -hmm. the girl with the prom dress um how that was a big issue i did she research the, the, the style of the dress, why she wore the dress. Did she appreciate that? But that I argue, though, that is just become an abject of pop culture. And once it's become an abject of pop culture, it is therefore idolized by the society or the, the culture. And once it's idolized by the culture, it's appreciated, not on the level that that is, not on a very specific level, but in a very general way. And I think we operate on those terms anyways. People are usually blissfully ignorant and do things all the time. Like, So can you tell me what style of dress it was? I can't tell you. Style so dress. is it actually abject in our popular culture? Well, uh, wait a minute. 
that, no, I'm, I'm saying just to have general knowledge because I have general knowledge of things that I'm interested in. Like I couldn't tell you specifics. Like there's even cultural things that I would appreciate and that that I would go to learn more about or even that I would use, right? That I wouldn't learn more about. Can you give me an example? Um, I cook a lot of uh, Vietnamese food and I have no idea about any of its roots and I have no interest and I won't pursue it. So it makes it Vietnamese. But because of the ingredients that it's sourced, because it comes from Vietnam. I do obviously have interest, but I'm going to continue to cook it and I won't feel bad for it. But if I meet a Vietnamese person, you know what my first question is going to be? Oh, God. What? Do you have any really cool dishes that you have? Because I do care, I just might not know. And I might not have any interest in researching or knowing to the nth degree. But in a way, that's appreciation. Because you're asking for them to like share a very, if, if, it, if they have a very personal recipe, and if it's really delicious and you love it and you continually make it, that's a form of appreciation. But I don't even think you have to know the full details of it. That's what I'm saying. I think you can look it up online and kind of get an idea of it. And you might be some, um, some family in the Midwest, right, who doesn't ever research anything. However, now they are taking in a culture into their own home. And they're less likely to be ignorant and more likely to be tolerable because it's relative to where they began. And I think their children, oh, like, like, like the, sorry. <laughs> when they, when she would, you wear a dress like that, right? You start to normalize it in the culture. Over time, it grows. But just killing it off and, and expecting it to be like, holding everyone accountable like that, I think could be negative. I think the thing was, though, I think she didn't understand what dress she was wearing, and apparently mm -hmm. it was the wrong style of dress for the event. Mm -hmm. And so then it's it's a faux pas. Was she intentionally wearing it um, for the culture, or was she wearing it because she liked the dress and didn't realize the cultural significance? I don't know. And that would be the, that's the problem, because I'm arguing the other one was like she liked the dress and didn't understand the cultural significance. I like the meal. And I didn't understand that it was even part of the culture. I was like, oh, I should, this should taste good. So then the question becomes, what level of responsibility do we hold people to to appreciate the culture they appropriate? But and I, and I, don't, I don't have an answer to that question. That's the social question we should be dialoguing about. But to hold anyone ex socially accountable for that, I think it's gross. Hold on. Is it gross or responsible to no. raise and not holding a Holding responsible can just be informing someone of the heritage or informing them of the details around it, them. It was a news article, right? Uh, yeah, it was a big story. That's what. <laughs> like that. You know what happened there. I Nothing think she came positive. I, I think she doubled down, though. Yeah, I think there was really? like a moment where she could have shown humility, and mm -hmm. I think she doubled down. But when someone's personal life becomes an object of a news article, right, was she a, a was she famous? She's like a high school. Kid. Yeah, so when <laughs> some random person, though. I think she could have declined to be in the article, though, right? Could she? Yeah. You can do that. Don't you have to give consent to the journalist? Don't you have to, like, say online oh, off the record? But so I was having a, a conversation while you're doing all this talk. Mm -hmm. um, probably the smartest fucking friend I have. Um, CG, I'll just say CG. Um, and I had asked her about uh, 
microaggressions and how you can politely or what the social norm is for addressing when someone has committed a microaggression towards you. And she pointed back on me in that, why does the person who's been offended, been on the offended end of a microaggression have to be responsible for your, your feelings when they're educating you? And the, the key thing to me that clicked was like the education purpose is, um, I think you should have a level of tact if, if, uh, if you're going to educate someone because they've committed a microaggression, I absolutely think you should have a level of tact. Um, I think that's where a lot of the divide is coming from is people don't have tact when they're just trying to educate and then somebody will double down in their beliefs. Um, and, and it's a two-way street communication. And let's see, I, I, I'm rambling, I'm sorry. No, no, dude, you're fine, man. I'm having fun. My name and quote, own and know. Yes, they can. They can even take your, uh, a quote of what you've said without your permission. So, um, yes, it's called reporting the news. No one has the right to prevent others from publishing one's name. There are very limited exceptions to that rule, such as if the publication is forbidden, forbidden by a national security statute or court order or publication is for the purpose of advertising partnerships. Because there would be the flaw in that well, I don't want you to, to publish something bad about me, right? I can open up a business and showing that I'm dumping waste in the lake. Like, uh, you should publish that, and I can't tell you no. Like, you would fuck, you would be, that'd be tyranny. So, but what you're saying is they can quote her and they didn't have to ask her permission. Did we look up her actual? No, no. I'll look up her actual. Just for chilling about, chilling rapping about cultural appropriation. I think we should just change it to cultural appreciation and everybody should just try and learn about other cultures. In America, should be that nothing pot that we all talk about on the TV. Yeah, so that's the whole thing that I agree with Jordan Peterson. Um, the more that you split hairs, the worse it's going to get because we're all just going to remember that we we aren't the same. I like that. And that's what I, that's the thing that I was trying to say is because when people incorporate the Vietnamese dish, and even if they don't understand that it's a Vietnamese dish, like oh, it's a good spicy thing to eat. Um, it's sad to me that that culture would be gone. However, it wouldn't because there would be literature, there would be gatekeepers of that culture. Um, but it's happy in the other point because everybody's starting to get, you know, be exposed to it in some fashion, if that makes any sense. It does, yes. But photos cause an uproar on social media or accused her of cultural appropriation. Oh, wow. My culture is not your progress. Oh, goddamn progress. Whoops. If I remember correctly, it was also maybe, no, it wasn't a, no, we'll just keep going. Yeah, so, I mean, no disrespect to the Chinese culture. I'm simply showing my appreciation of it, but okay, that's kind of weird, but, oh, that. 
I didn't know she said that she liked the dress. Like, I'm confused. Oh. They're bowing with their hands in prayer. Well, that's a very uh, oh, outlier. Uh, um, oh, it's right there, though. Okay, so now the story takes a turn. Well, but I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, but it's just kids, though. It's kids. And and it sounds like, from reading the article, that like somebody had called her out and she humbly kind of explained herself. Mm -hmm. um, I thought there was a more of a component to like the style of dress was supposed to be a different... Some of her supporters are Asian. Well, because... So, that's the thing. is The issue is malicious intent, right? Even if my if my son if my son were to do something that were to make fun of his own race or another person's race, is he being malicious? And when he encounters that person and has friends, has loved ones that are of that race, is that maliciousness? But I I, I would argue part of communication is thinking, sorry, I got a cramp, uh, is anticipating your audience mm -hmm. and their response. But when, but why are you, maybe she wanted to be the audience of the world, but that's where I, if you post it on your social media and then one person shares it and that 20 people share it, I guess that's a consequence of being on social media. It's just yeah. you're holding, like if a famous person who's like, I'm going to wear this to the, um, I don't know, the thing that everyone watches every year. And I'm aware of that, and I'm going to try to represent this thing because I'm speaking to our culture. It's like that that's kind of fucky. Or if you make a TV show, right, and it was all about Chinese culture, like a documentary or even um, a sitcom, I guess, and you just fucked it up, didn't do any research whatsoever. It's like I kind of have a little bit of an obligation there, but but if you're saying that you're trying to portray the thing. But I don't know, I'm getting high, so rambling. Uh, I, I lost you, I'm sorry. I'm not happy. Okay. You haven't dabbed yet. No, I haven't. I don't do that. Yeah. All right. You want, you gave everyone the yeah. promo. Yeah, slide fields, Instagram, Dodge, macros. Uh, we'll get you fucking looking good. You need the third M so you can be M and M. Oh, wait. No, yep, two M's is good. <laughs> M and M. <laughs> Massage macro. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I love it, man. Bye. Bye.